You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. chapter 5, verses 33 through 42. Uh, We encourage if you have a copy of God's Word that you uh, turn there with us. If you don't, uh, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Acts chapter 5, verses 33 through 42. To give you kind of a recap of where we are, uh, as you remember that Jesus had risen from the dead, He ascended in the right hand of God the Father, Uh, God sent the Holy Spirit to empower the disciples, that same Holy Spirit who empowers us today, uh, who fills our hearts to do the work of ministry so that we can have a relationship with Christ Jesus. And so uh, the day of Pentecost has come. The early church, they're on fire. They're on fire for the Lord. And uh, God is just blessing the church. They're adding numbers uh, to daily uh, to the church in in amazing numbers. Uh, And so... The religious authorities of the day, however, they don't like the fact that they're out there preaching in the name of Jesus, the very one whom they crucified, but they couldn't keep dead because he rose again on the third day. So they're doing everything they can to stop this movement. They, they throw them in jail, and you remember the story a few weeks back, the angel of the Lord comes, he lets them back out of prison. They go back to preaching in the streets again in the name of Jesus. So they re-arrest the disciples again here in chapter 5. And they're trying to figure out what do we do with these guys. It's like Ernest T. Bass on Andy Griffith. Every time we arrest them, they get out of prison. What do we do with these guys? Uh, the only thing they weren't doing was throwing rocks through their windows. You know. So uh, what do we do with these guys? So that's where we come to verse 33. So everyone who can and is able, we encourage you to stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. You're going to hear a guy today uh, who's part of this Sanhedrin who's a very influential man. He's, his name is Gamaliel I. And in fact, Paul tells us before he became a Christian... Paul was like a doctorate, 
Now, he had a doctorate of the religion in his day. He was a well-trained man. Uh, his teacher, one of his teachers was Gamaliel himself. This is the same teacher who taught, who brought up Paul in the ways of the Pharisees. Paul, as you know, would come to be a Christian believer and would uh, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we see in verse 33 that when they heard this, this these religious authorities, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Now, this goes back to verses 29 and 32. They says, you know, they, where they say that why we commanded you not to preach in the name of Jesus, but you keep on doing it. You're driving us crazy. Why do you keep doing it? And Peter says, we ought to obey God rather than men. So uh, that's the command we have, that we have to obey God rather than men. But when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. So in other words, things are getting heated. Gamaliel says, let's just let these guys step outside for a minute. Let's, let's convene here. Let's get, our, let's get our heads about us here. Okay, and so uh, in verse 35, and he said to them, Men of Israel... Take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be someone. A number of men, about 400, joined them. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. There's a very important point here, beloved. There were several people who rose up claiming to be somebody. They died, and their movement died with them. Jesus, his movement continues only because of the historical veracity of the resurrection, only because he literally stepped foot out of the tomb on the third day, that's the only reason we even hear about Jesus today. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, Christianity would have died with him on the cross. Because he is alive, we have hope in him, and that's the only reason we hear about Jesus of Nazareth, because he fulfilled exactly what the Bible prophesied would happen to the Messiah. That's a very important point there in verse 36. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. He died. See ya. <laughs> they went home back about their way. Not the same with the Christian movement. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, verse 38. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or if this work is of men it will come to nothing. It's going to fall apart. But if this is of God, Gamaliel says, you cannot overthrow it, lest you yourselves be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles, they still didn't get away scot-free. They beat them, most likely scourging them, 39 lashes, 40 minus 1, and they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they, being the apostles, departed from the presence of the council. And look what the next word says. Were they saddened? Were they discouraged? They had just been beaten. A lot of people didn't survive these scourgings. What does that say there that happened? They rejoiced. They rejoiced even in the midst of their suffering. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And look at verse 42. <laughs> 
<laughs> you got to love this. And they go back daily in the temple, and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. You were not going to shut these men up because they knew what they saw. They had seen Jesus alive. They had felt him. They had seen him. For 40 days they had seen him alive from the dead. You weren't going to shut them up about this. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your spirit, Lord. And we just ask, Lord, today that you would just fill our hearts and our minds. And Lord, that you would allow me just simply to be your mouthpiece this morning. The Lord, that you would allow me to say the things that need to be spoken and hold back any things that don't need to be spoken. And in and through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. This may not be uh, the best story to use on this, but I just, just do want to tell you this. I think it's a funny story, and I think it illustrates a very important point, that our attitudes make all the difference in the world. Amen? Our attitudes make the difference in the world. You know, life is only about 10% of what happens to us, and 90% on how we respond to those things that happen to us. Now, folks, let me just say right here and right now, Jesus never promised that you and I would have an easy road at being a Christian. He never promised that. In fact, he says, take up your cross and follow me. Uh, he's, you know, these are things he said over and over and over again. But we can, we can either respond with bitterness or we can allow the experiences that happen in our lives to make us better in and through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, for instance... Uh, I had a good friend of mine when I did my associate's degree up at Fruitland Baptist Bible College in Hendersonville. And a good friend of mine, Todd, I can't think of his last name. I even went online trying to find his last name. He took some management courses at NC State. Crystal, you'll like that. He was a graduate of NC State, the Wolfpack. And uh, Crystal's a huge Wolfpack fan, you know that. But uh, anyhow, he was a wonderful man. He worked in restaurant management for many years. And I remember after classes were over, uh, he and another friend of mine, Ken Houston, and, and Todd would all sit together there in the cafeteria just talking about the Lord, just having devotions. And he told this story. He said that uh, when he was a little boy, growing up, going to the beach, uh, it was before they had made I-40. So his dad took 421 all the way down uh, to around Wilmington, I think, and then took, uh, was it 17, I think, that goes south down to uh, Myrtle Beach. And he said, you know, there weren't a lot of rest stops at that time. There weren't a lot of places that you could pull over. So, uh, and his dad was not a man who was going to stop every few minutes. I mean, they, he was, when he had his mindset that he was going to go somewhere, he tried to get there as quick as he possibly could. So the family, his mom had devised a plan that if, when, now I understand this is probably not the best story to tell in church, but they had this uh, jar they called the pee-pee jar that if they had to stop and use the bathroom, the boys would use this jar to keep on the road because his dad was determined he was going to get there in the best possible way you know, to, to get there. Well, this, the traffic was backed up on 421, as you can expect. This was the main thoroughfare going to the beach. So it was back-to-back, bumper-to-bumper traffic, and they had, he had it in the wind going as fast as he could. Now, Todd was a bit mischievous, and, and he was even, when I, as I knew him, bad to pull pranks and all. But he said that uh, his brother had to stop and use the restroom. And his dad says, well, we're not stopping. Use the jar we have. Well, his mom had the jar and didn't realize that he was already full. 
So without thinking, she undoes the lid and throws the liquid out of the car. Well, back in this day, if you recall, women had the beehive hairdos. You remember where the hair was actually bigger than a person's head? Todd said he watched as that glob of liquid, like a cartoon, went back behind them and was sucked in the car behind them, and the lady's beehive hairdo went flat. <laughs> I wish I were making this up. This is honest to goodness truth. Todd was jumping up and down in the back seat, saying, She got hit! She got hit! And his mom was looking at their dad. She rolled the window up and says, don't you dare stop this car. <laughs> don't you dare stop this car. Well, that car, uh, needless to say, the guy driving it was flashing his lights and blowing his horn and followed them all the way down to Myrtle Beach where finally his dad was able to shake them somehow. But, you know, they could have gotten angry about that. The dad could have gotten furious about that. But he didn't. And Todd, looking back on this, recalling both of his parents who had gone to be with the Lord at that time. Todd, he's now with the Lord himself. But as he was looking back, recounting that story, there wasn't any anger there. I mean, there could have been a lot of frustration there, what happened there. But there wasn't a lot of anger. In fact, they were able to look back at this and laugh and say, you know, we hate that happened, but we've definitely learned a lesson now when we go traveling, for sure. Attitude makes a big difference in a person's life. The early church could have easily have become discouraged at the things that were taking place, thrown up their hands and said, we're not doing this anymore. But no, they didn't let their experiences uh, influence their lives in the fact they didn't let the, let the bad things happening influence their lives. Rather, they focused upon the risen Lord and of the wonderful things that He had done in their life and the wonderful truths that were fulfilled in through Jesus Christ. So there are three points we want to make today, three principles, as we discuss divine attitude towards ministry. And this doesn't even have to be just towards ministry. It can be about anything in life. A divine attitude towards ministry. Number one, and we encourage you to follow along with the insert of your bulletin if you'd like to do so. Number one, a divine attitude towards ministry is courageous despite threats. It's courageous despite threats. Beloved, Jesus has told us several times before that if you take a stand for him, the world is not going to like you. Amen? If you're, wanting, if you're wanting to be the most popular person in the world, don't become a Christian. Because the world loves its own. And Jesus is not of the world. He's the only begotten of the Father. He is, he is, the, only, uh, he is the Son of Almighty God. Uh, and, and, and the point of the fact is, is that if you're of God, if you're of Jesus, not everybody's going to like you. And you might as well just get used to that. But beloved, understand, if you live your life trying to be a people pleaser, you're never going to succeed at anything, are you? Amen? If you live your life just simply trying to please others, it's not going to work. Uh, in fact, if you live your life simply trying to uh, uh, live through life with no problems whatsoever, that's not going to work. Because the religious authorities here were angered over the comments made by Peter. They were looking at the things that took place in the early church, and they wanted them to stop. They wanted the people to come to them. They wanted them to pay the money to go to the temple. They didn't like this new Jesus movement, and they wanted it to, uh, to stop. They mentioned previous leaders like uh, Thutis and Judas the Galilean who were killed, and, and their movement was too. And Ga uh, Gamal excuse me, Gamaliel says, 
listen guys, if this movement is of God, you're not going to stop it. Amen? Because if God is for you, no one can be against you. Amen? Your attitude makes a big difference in life. It reminds me of a story I heard of a general, a British General Bernard Montgomery who assumed the command of the Allied troops in World War II, Allied troops in North Africa. When he took command, a German commander Field Marshal Erwin Rommel's forces, forces had, uh, were, were completely taking control of this area. And in fact, when uh, Montgomery went to the sergeant at that time, he asked what the plan was because he noticed that the, this sergeant was drawing up plans. He says, what are the plans you're making? He says, these are retreat plans. We're going to see how we can get out of this place. And Montgomery says, I can tell you what you do with those plans. Tear them up and throw them in the trash can because we're going to win this. And when they did, Montgomery gathered the forces. He changed the attitude of the people there. And because of Montgomery and the forces working together, they were able to take back North Africa from the power of the axis of the, of the Nazi regime. Beloved, your attitude means a lot. The apostles knew their movement was from God because they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. The Bible tells us that over 500 men, I believe it could have been even 1,500 people or more, but at least 500 brethren saw Jesus alive at one time from the dead. You don't have hallucinations like that. Hallucinations are individual hallucinations. If, if you're all, you all go and say, well, we saw Brian Chilton today, and Steve says, I see Brian, and Dale says, I saw Brian, and uh, Francis says, I saw Brian. They said, no, you didn't see Brian. Well, of course you did. You're not all having a hallucination at the same time, are you? Uh, you're not ha having a hallucination. Francis may wish he was, but... Uh, <laughs> But we're not having a hallucination at one time. They saw Jesus over the course of the 40-day period and knew that he had risen from the dead. He, they knew that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies given by the Father, that Jesus was at the right hand of God the Father, and that they had received the Holy Spirit of God as the Spirit of God was empowering them. Understand this, as the Bible tells us, if God is for you in Romans 8.31, no one can be against you. Think about this. God is all-powerful. It's amazing the power of God. You look at all the forces in the universe and think that they don't even hold a candle to the power of God. God is power. He is all-powerful. He is light. Uh, he is holy, meaning absolutely, absolute purity. If you have someone like that who has your back, then no one can stand against you. Amen? Because God can do anything. God can do anything, and praise God for that. The Bible tells us that no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and you will refute any accusation raised against you, against you in court. This is the Lord's declaration in Isaiah 54, verse 17. I love 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 7, that says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, one of love, and one of sound judgment. Beloved, we don't have to live our lives afraid, do we? We don't have to live our lives afraid because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If you have Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. What are they going to do, kill you? Well, guess what? The Bible says that's a blessing in and of itself. Amen? Because we have eternal life in and through Jesus Christ. Number two, a divine attitude towards ministry 
is joyful despite suffering. And folks, this is something we have to emphasize here. There are so many things on television, so many people who say, you come to Jesus, your life is going to be great, you're never going to have any problems, you're going to have all this financial wealth, you're going to have all these things coming to you. But is that what the Bible says? Not at all. Not at all. Jesus never promised that. But he did promise us that if you come to him and receive him, that you have eternal life, uh, that you're of God, you have that kinship with God. Uh, we see in verse 40 that, uh, notice that they, were, that they were beaten. Now, what the beating was, it was a Jewish flogging. Now, Jewish floggings weren't as bad as Roman floggings. Jewish floggings, they were only uh, contained down to 39 lashes. The Romans tried to break you back. The Romans literally tried to break your back. They, they, they made it a game that if, if you were flogged by the Romans, they would just see how much damage they could do to a person before they sent them off to the cross. A lot of people didn't survive Roman floggings. And t- t- truth be told, a lot of people didn't even survive the Jewish floggings because they would take these three beads called a flagrum and they would, uh, again, the Jewish floggings weren't as bad as the Romans, but they would take these three strands and they would whip a person across their back and across their chest. They were trying to make a point in doing this. I mean, we read this and we pass over this, but this was a serious thing. They would have been cut open on their chest. Their backs would have been cut open. They would have been, blood would have been uh, gushing profusely. Uh, I mean, so they would have been beaten badly through this. But did they give up? Did they throw up their hands saying, we're not going to do this anymore? The Bible says they rejoiced. (laughs) They rejoiced. In their suffering. Why? Let's look back at verses 40 and 41. They departed from the presence and counsel rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Because they realized that they took part in the sufferings of Christ. Beloved, a lot of times we ask the question, why me? But truthfully, when we see what Jesus has done for us, Maybe we should ask, the early apostles asked the question, why not me? Jesus went to the cross, he bore my shame, he took my suffering upon his back. Why should we not suffer for the risen Lord? That's what the Bible shows us, that many times we may have to suffer on account of Christ. But the wonderful thing is, is that that doesn't break us. In fact, that should empower us to serve the Lord even more. Now, how so? Because if you focus on the Lord, and you look at the blessings that God has given you in life, those blessings far outweigh any suffering that we may endure. Amen? I think of two people even right now, uh, Jane Bowers. If you never have had a chance to go meet with her, count yourself unblessed. You need to go see her. She is a wonderful woman of God. And every time I've seen her, she has a lot of health issues. But I'm going to tell you, I've never one time heard her complain. If, if anything, when I go, she'll, we'll, I have to watch myself because I'll go and I'll end up spending two hours with her because we get to talking about the Lord, we get to talking about the Bible, and before you know it, I'm, I've looked several times and Jane, I've got to go. It's, it's, you know, time's getting away from us. And I also think of Patsy. What a wonderful conversation I had with her. She's been suffering with her arm, and she was mentioning the fact the other day, uh, and I hope you don't mind me sharing this, Pat, I should have asked you permission for doing this, but she was talking about how her mind goes back and thinks about, about the crown of thorns, and she's, she's told me many times how the attitude, a person's attitude, will, will determine a lot about how you endure hardships in life. 
But you see, that's the wonderful thing we find about through the Scripture is that we are filled with the joy of the Lord so that the devil can't steal our joy. We can face any obstacle, any circumstance because of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul writes, Five times I received forty lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 and following. Yet when writing this letter, he can also say back in chapter 4, verses 17 through 18, having endured all of that, he can still say this, for our momentary light affliction momentary light affliction did you just hear what he gone through momentary light affliction is is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory so we do not focus on what is seen but what is unseen for what is seen what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal if anyone ever suffered for the lord it was the apostle paul but yet he said, with all of these things I've endured, there are only momentary light afflictions compared to the eternal light of glory we have on the other side. As the Bible tells us, eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for us in heaven. Beloved, when you have an eternal perspective, you can make it through anything because you know that there are better days awaiting you. Beloved, understand the, the afflictions you're suffering, they're only temporary. They will one day pass. The problems you have in life, they're only temporary. They will one day pass because of the glory of Almighty God working in you to bring about something good because Romans 8.28 still holds true that all things work together for good it doesn't mean that everything that happens in life is going to be good, but that God is working and molding like a, a, a sculpture, working with the clay, making a masterpiece. He's working all things for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Amen? Oh, that was weak. Amen? We can take joy when we are persecuted for the faith because we are counted worthy to share in the sufferings of Christ. We can take joy when we suffer because we realize that it's only momentary compared to the wondrous glories of heaven. We can take joy when we suffer because of God's eternal plan and how He can reach others through our testimony. You will never know what God is going to do in your life even through the times of suffering. Number three, a divine attitude towards ministry is persistent despite setbacks. That means that you have an attitude that no matter what happens to you, no matter what comes your way, you're not giving up. Amen? 
You have an attitude that you don't care what happens to you. You don't care what the devil throws at you. You don't care what obstacle may come your way. You know that it's just a small little hillside compared to the mountain of God's glory that his bulldozer can plow through any mountain stood against you that even if the devil tries to throw a Mount Everest in front of you that God can take his explosive power and reshape that mountain to make it nothing more than a molehill. A divine attitude towards ministry is persistent. Despite all these things that are taking place, look at verse 42. After all they had been beaten, after all that had happened, look what happened. And daily in the temple, they didn't stop. Daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Even though they had been beaten, even though they had been threatened, even though all these things were mounting against them, they were still joyful in the Lord. They would not let the devil steal their joy, and they knew that God was going to help them through somehow or some way. They had a mindset that they would be persistent despite the setbacks that may come their way. During my undergraduate at uh, Gardner-Webb University, Dr. Joe Collins was teaching a a class on ministry and we were talking about, you know, we talked about hoping maybe one day to enter a doctorate program, something like that, and asking him about, you know, how you make it through a program like that. And he asked us a question in this ministry class. He asked us a question, pretty tough class too. He said, uh, do you think I have an, a high IQ? And I asked him, I said, well, do we get an A if we say yes? <laughs> how do you answer that? Your professor is asking if you think he's smart. You know, how do you answer that? Well, he says, I only ask this question for one reason. He says, studies have been done to show people going through getting their doctorate degrees have, on general, an average IQ, just as anyone else does. He says, with the exception of neurologists, because the the mechanical ability, the mathematical ability, the precision that goes in and smarts that go in with uh, being a brain surgeon, that's a higher tier. So he said, outside of brain surgeons, most doctorates have an average IQ. He says, you want to know how to make it through a program like that? He says, determination. He says, anybody can do it. He says, if you are determined and you're not going to let anything stop you and you're determined that you're going to make it through, you can do it. And I thought about that. What if we had that same attitude towards ministry? That no matter what came our way, no matter what setbacks may come our way, that we have the mindset that we're going to keep plowing forward, that we're not going to let the devil stop us, we're not going to let his traps and snare us, that we're going to keep on keeping on and not stop till we reach the goal that God has set before us. Well, beloved, what do you think would happen if we did that? I guarantee we would see God bless us in many, many ways if we were to simply do that. Persistence is the demonstration of true faith. Faith in and of itself, if you look up the word in Greek, it doesn't mean even a set of beliefs. The word faith means a trust, a dependency that you have upon someone or something. When you say you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're not simply saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. You're saying, I know Jesus and I trust him with my eternal salvation. I am entrusting him with my salvation. Beloved, if you say you trust someone and then throw up your hands when times get tough, is that really trust? I remember yesterday in officiating the wedding, we read the line, you take one another in good times and bad through through hardships and all these different things. Do you promise to love one another throughout all of this? 
You know, we do the same thing with Jesus. We say, Jesus, I come to you in faith. I promise to love you in good times and bad. But we only mean the good times, don't we? A lot of times people only come to faith because they're expecting a, a bed of roses to be laid out beside them or in front of them. But that's not the case. Faith, trust, is a relationship we have with Jesus Christ. That means we trust Him when times are good, we trust Him when times are bad, and we do not let the devil steal our joy. We do not let the devil discourage us that we keep moving forward, keep moving onward, keep moving upward because of the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts and our lives. Amen? I'm about to get Pentecostal if somebody don't say amen here. <laughs> amen? Uh, but so persistence is the demonstration of true faith. Persistence is the end result of focusing on God during times of affliction. Paul writes, the same Paul who had endured all these things says in Romans 4 verses 3 through 5 that we rejoice in our afflictions. We do what? We rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Beloved, understand you may be going through some hardships. You may be going through some troubled times. But understand they're only temporary. Amen? Aren't you glad of that? They're only temporary. Dr. James Dobson says life is kind of like a roller coaster. If you're going through a problem now, it's kind of like going on the low end of a roller coaster. It come, you'll come back up on the hillside. You're going to come back up eventually. So make it through that, you'll eventually come back up. Beloved, your stress can be relieved simply by paying less attention on the problems you have and more attention on the sovereign God who can get you through. Let me close with this. Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, the author of The Power of Positive Thinking, was once approached by a woman who asked him how she could escape having any problems in life. She says, Dr. Peale, I don't want to have, I have so many problems in life, I want to be, get rid of all these problems. How can I have peace without any problems whatsoever? And Dr. Peale says, well, come with me and I'll show you where you can have this perfect kind of peace. And he drove her to a cemetery and says, right there are the only people that you'll ever meet that don't have any problems whatsoever, the ones who are in heaven. He says, you look at the tombstone of the individuals who have died and gone to heaven, they're the only ones who don't have any problems like this. You're going to have problems. You're going to have difficulties. But trust in God. It doesn't mean that you're going to have an easy road. But if you trust in God, He will see you through any difficulty that may come your way. So how do we have a divine attitude? towards ministry, and even really towards life. We're courageous despite threats. We're joyful despite suffering. And we're persistent despite the setbacks that may come our way. And that is the measure, I would even say, of true faith, a true trust and dependency upon the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never placed that type of faith and dependency and trust, upon Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to come down. God hasn't promised us many years on this life, or in this life. You may not have another opportunity to make things right with the Lord. So if you're here today, and maybe the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, and you know that you've never made that commitment of faith, maybe today you want to come. Nobody's going to laugh at you. Nobody's going nobody's to poke fun at you. If they do, they have more problems than you ever could. Amen? <laughs> 
But you come down and you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And it'll be the best decision you ever make in your life. Maybe you're struggling with some problem. And maybe you just want to lay all of those, those problems at the foot of the cross. Saying, Lord, I can't handle this, but I know you can. I want you to take control of these issues in my life. Or maybe you'd like to come and join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and your life, we just encourage you to respond as to how the Holy Spirit is moving even now. The kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moving of your Holy Spirit. We have felt you so strongly today. And we just ask, Lord, that you would move in and through this time of invitation. Lord, if there's anyone here who knows you not, we pray that today would be the day of salvation for that person. Lord, again, we thank you for all the blessings of life. We thank you for love. We thank you for the fact that we can be loved by you, that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for us so that through his death we could live. No greater love has anyone seen than that love that one has to lay down their life for their friends. Lord, have your will and your way in this time. on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. When I first wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict, truth wasn't so much an issue as what is truth, can you know truth, but now it is. Some of the issues are different because of the internet, like the claim that Jesus doesn't even exist. Are there other gospels that should have been in the Bible? Is Christianity just a copycat religion? So when we updated this, because I hear it from students so often, I thought we have to have the single best chapter that responds to this claim, and I think we do. We had to rewrite Evidence Demands a Verdict because there's so much new evidence out there. It's like one Greek scholar said, the evidence now for the scriptures is like a tsunami, an avalanche that is hitting, and we want you to be aware of that. We want every young person, every student, every pastor, every professor to be aware of the new evidence out there. To understand not just what they believe, but why they believe it. Evidence that demands a verdict. On sale everywhere, October 3rd, 2017. Go to hashtag true evidence.
Are you looking for something that will train you in Christian apologetics, but you don't have time to commit to a long-term program? Do you want to learn more about the philosophical, scientific, and historical reasons for the Christian faith? If you answered yes, then plan to attend the 25th National Conference on Christian Apologetics, entitled Defending a Faith That Thinks. It will be held October 13th and 14th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, sponsored by Southern Evangelical Seminary. Among the speakers include Michael Brown, Norman Geisler, Gary Habermas, Ken Ham, Richard Howe, Greg Kokel, J.P. Moreland, SES President Richard Land, Jay Richards, Hugh Ross, Frank Turret, Jay Warner Wallace, and more than 30 additional speakers. Early bird pricing lasts until August 1st. For more information, go to conference.ses.edu. I plan to be at the 25th National Conference on Christian Apologetics. I hope to see you there. Once again, this is October 13th and 14th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Go to conference.ses.edu. The National Conference on Christian Apologetics, defending the faith of things.